All right. Hi, church. Um, this video is likely coming to you in your own home as we are currently unable to gather uh, due to the coronavirus. Um, I just, by way of announcement, want to remind you to continue to check the website. Uh, we're going to be just having updates regarding like midweek gatherings, regarding prayer meetings, uh, youth group, that kind of thing. So that info will be there for you guys. Um, it struck me this week as I was preparing for this sermon that just us as Reality Carp, we've been through some tumultuous times together the past few years. Uh, we went through what was at the time the largest wildfire in California history. Uh, weeks later, we had to close our gathering due to the mudslides. Um, recently, Britt, our founding pastor, has retired and we're in the season of transition. And now we cannot gather by order of our, our government um, because of this historic pandemic. And so I, just, I was just struck at um, just the way Jesus really does build his church, that he has cared for us, that he has sustained us, that he has been our rock. He hasn't changed. And so uh, we just trust that he will continue to care for us as a church in this new season. We don't even know what next week, uh, what two weeks from now looks like. You know, it's funny, we never knew, but, but right now we feel that. And so for the next at least three Sundays, as we are not gathering on Sunday um, and, and possibly more, we are just going to continue to uh, study the book of John together. And we're going to continue just to behold our rock and our foundation, the, the person of Jesus. Um, as we're not going to have like our slides up here, as you, you're not used to that, um, I want to encourage you to get a physical Bible. This is a thing. Open your physical Bible, put it in front of you. Um, and we're going to be referring back to it often. So get your Bible out. And uh, we're going to read this morning or evening or whenever you're watching this, we're going to read John 4, verses 43 to 54. We're going to finish John chapter 4. Uh, the title of this sermon is A Present Help in Trouble. A Present Help in Trouble. We're going to read of a man who is in trouble, and we're going to see how Jesus cares for him. So let's read John 4, 43 uh, through 54 together. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, Come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew 
that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that, that it says in Psalm 46 that you are our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, but he utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Lord, right now we remember that you are our fortress. You are our rock. You are our very present help. Lord, I pray for every person hearing these words, that they would find rest and refuge in you, God. You cannot be moved. You are seated on your throne. And so we look to you. We look to you, King Jesus. We look to your word to find help in our time of need, to find help in trouble. Would you speak to us now, even in this unusual circumstance as we're hearing your word in maybe a different way than is normal as we're not gathered as we normally do, Lord, we thank you that you, you remain the same and that your word is not bound and it goes forth in power. So Holy Spirit, I know you're able to use um, these circumstances and the internet and technology and videos and all these things to still speak your word to us. So would you do that now? It's in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, So we all know what it's like to feel trouble. We all know what it's like to feel trouble. We all know what it's like to have pressing concerns and worries and fears. Jesus himself promised us. What did he say? He said, in this world, you will have trouble. And in in our text this morning, Uh, We see Jesus being met by a man who is facing severe trouble. And we're going to see three purposes, uh, three designs, three three ways that Jesus uses trouble in in this man's life and, and then also in our own life. And so... As we, as we prepare to see, okay, Jesus, how do you use this trouble? Um, we actually need to look at the verses leading up to the story. It's funny, verses, if you look at your Bible, John chapter 4, verses 43 to 45, they, they seem kind of like random, passing verses. Why do we really need to know where Jesus was and why he was? But hear me, verses 43 to 45 are literally, they're literally the key to this text, 100% the key to this text. And so we're going we're gonna to look at these verses and then we'll, we'll get into the story. So the first thing to look at, look at verse 43. It says this, after the two days, he departed for Galilee. Remember, Jesus was down in Jerusalem for the feast and his popularity was beginning to grow. It said he realized uh, the Pharisees were noticing that he was more popular than John. And so he says, okay, I'm going to leave. 
I'm going up north to Galilee. And as he goes to Galilee, he, where does he go? He passes through Samaria where he interacts with the woman at the well and he saves her and he saves uh, this whole town in Samaria. And now we get to verse 43 and it says he spends two days in Samaria and then he goes up north to Galilee. Okay, now listen, verse 44 introduces this idea that honestly feels like it's a contradiction to what, like, wait, why is he going to Galilee? Look at verse 44 with me. It says this, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Okay, this is literally the key to this story and the gospel of John. Jesus is going to Galilee. Why is he going to Galilee? Because a prophet has no honor in his hometown. You see how that's weird? First of all, wait, you're going to Galilee where you will not have any honor. Like, what is going on? Uh, Turn back with me to John chapter one and look at John one, verse 11. John, the author, is reminding us, he's tying this story, he's anchoring this story into the, the overall purpose of the gospel of John. John 1 verse 11 says this about Jesus. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Okay. Remember when we also began the gospel of John and we we read, in fact, if you will, turn with me to John chapter 20, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. We said, hey, write this in your little journal. This is the purpose of the gospel of John. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Look what it says. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So this gospel was written by an apostle who spent time with Jesus so that we would read it, see the glory of Jesus, and believe in Jesus. But the tragedy of this story is Jesus comes to his people, He comes to his own hometown, to his own people, the Jews. And what happens? They reject him. They do not receive him. That is the story of the gospel of John. God comes in the flesh to his people and they reject him and they kill him. That is the theme that we will see time and time again. And it's only gonna pick up until we get to chapter 12. Jesus will be rejected by his own people. If you remember when we finished chapter two, it says at the the last few verses of chapter two, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. That sounds great, great. They're believing in Jesus. But look what it says in verse 24. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. So what we're seeing is Jesus coming. He's performing signs and wonders. People get excited about his signs and wonders, but they don't have true saving faith. And so all these people that are, you know, Jesus is so popular. He's feeding thousands of people. They're all praising him. And a week later, as he comes into Jerusalem, the last week of his life, they say, crucify him with one voice. So the gospel of John is a story of God coming in the flesh to his own people and being rejected by his people. So 
when we read back in our text, again, John chapter 4, verse 44, Jesus goes to Galilee because he knows he will be rejected. What we're, we're, re- we're remembering, this story we're about to read is showing us, is tying into the greater story that what we're about to read, the story we're about to study is just another version, just another example of Jesus coming to his own people, his own hometown, and they reject him. They don't really believe in him. They just have shallow faith. They just wanna see his signs and wonders. And so that's the lens that John, the author, is is giving us as we head into this story. And, And then look, it can be even confusing because verse 44 says, he himself testified that a prophet has no honor. And then look again at verse 45. It says, so... When he came to Galilee, look what it says. The Galileans welcomed him, having seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So it's saying, okay, Jesus is going to Galilee because he knows he's gonna get rejected. But in verse 45, it says, but everybody welcomed him. It's like, John, what are you saying? What are you, what are you getting at? Well, we can know that John is not, uh, he's not stupid the Holy Spirit who's inspiring him is not stupid. He's wanting us to notice something here. And what he, 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 he's pointing out a few things. Number one, he wants us to, he, he twice uses the word the feast in verse 45. Do you see that? Look down at your Bible. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. John is reminding us that the people Jesus is about to interact with are the same people who believed in him earlier, but Jesus said, but I know their faith is not real. He's reminding us these people were at the feast. These are the same kinds of people that, listen, may welcome Jesus, may have him over for dinner, may roll out the red carpet and say, oh, come here, Jesus. But they are not the people who will truly believe, who will repent of their sin and trust in Jesus. That, that word honor in verse 44 is a different word than a welcome in verse 45. These people were willing to welcome Jesus, but they're not gonna truly honor him as the son of God. And I just want, I want us to hear this. It is a very different thing to welcome Jesus into your life than surrendering your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's different. You can welcome Jesus. I'm, I love Jesus. Come on in, Jesus. Come into my life. You can take a seat where I'm Lord and uh, you, know, you can bless me. Versus, Jesus, I'm gonna honor you as Lord. It is a very different thing. And so these verses are preparing the way, they're preparing the lens through which we need to study the story that's coming next. And that's the lens that we should read the entire gospel of John. And so that's the backdrop, that's the lens. Jesus is going where he's gonna be superficially honored, but he's not gonna truly be honored as Lord and Savior and King. So let's pick up, let's read verses 46 and 47. It says this, so he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son 
for he was at the point of death. So here we see that it's the first point, the first of three ways Jesus uses trouble in our lives. And the first is this. Jesus uses trouble to bring us to him. Hear that. Jesus uses trouble in our life, trouble in the world, trouble in our health, trouble in our family to bring us to him. Look again at verse 46. It says, it, it, it tells us, that this is, it tells us this happens at the same place where Jesus did his first miracle. That's Cana, where he turned water into wine. Now, John is a brilliant author. He crafts his words and stories intentionally. And so when John says, hey, remember that miracle? Remember how this happened in Cana? What he's doing is he's saying, remember that, compare that to what you're about to hear right now. He's saying, remember last time when a great need came up at a wedding? Well, here we have the same place. Another great need has come up. And remember, someone comes desperate to Jesus. Like, hey, Jesus, I need you to act. Remember Jesus' mom saying, Jesus, there's no wine. And I'm like somewhat responsible for this. Can you do something? Well, well, now we have another person coming to Jesus and he's desperate and he's saying, Jesus, I really need you to act right now. And remember what Jesus said to his mom? Was he like, okay, mother, whatever you want, I will do for you. He says, who are you, woman? And he, he literally changes the relationship. He's telling Mary, Mary, you are no longer mostly my mom. I am no longer mostly your son. I am now your Lord. I am your God. And you don't tell God what to do. And Jesus is about to do the very same thing to this man. He's, he's reminding this man, hey, I'm not just some miracle worker to try and make your life and your needs easier. You need to know who it is you're talking to. And so this official comes, as it says in verse 46, an official whose son was ill. Now this official would be well connected to doctors and resources. He was likely a Jewish leader working for Herod. Um, He would have been like in the upper echelon of, you know, like socially, economically, like this is a big deal. This is a, this guy's important. But, but, But think about this. Even a man with great wealth and great influence and great resources, he's come to his end. He cannot fix this problem. His son is near death. And the word in verse 48 that John uses, where it speaks, or 47, where it speaks of his son can be translated his little boy. His little boy. This this wealthy, connected man has a little boy who is near death. And as if we need reminding right now, this text is just another example that all of us will face trouble in this life. That the curse that came because of our sin, because of Adam's sin is over every person, every rich person, every poor person. Every American, every Asian, every European, every young person, every old person, we will have trouble in this life. And this text reminds us that this man is not just a wealthy official. Verse 53 reminds us 
He is a father. Verse 53 changes that language from the official, the official, the official, and it says the father. This is a dad with a little boy who's about to join a long line of fathers who have buried their children. The first grave ever filled was by a father for his son. Adam buried his own son. And this man is but moments from doing the same thing. And this father, in his desperation, hears that there is this man named Jesus who has performed signs and wonders. He's heard, wait, there's a miracle worker out. There is a miracle worker. Maybe this man was even in Jerusalem and he saw Jesus perform miracles. And could it be that this miracle worker could possibly lay his hands on my son and spare his life? So as verse 47 says, when he hears Jesus had come, he goes and he implores Jesus, please come and heal my son. And that, that verb where he says, he says, come, that verb where he says, come down, that's the imperfect tense. And what that means is he's repeatedly begging. He's asking. This man is likely at the feet of Jesus, begging Jesus, please come down and heal my son. Now just picture the scene, picture it a dignified, wealthy official is begging at the feet of a carpenter's son. A dignified, wealthy official is in the dust begging this carpenter's son, please come heal my son. And we know that nothing breaks the pride of men or women like trouble. Nothing breaks our pride like trouble. And God uses this very trouble. God uses the sickness of in, in this man's son to bring him to Jesus. This guy would not be at the feet of Jesus if he had a healthy son. Uh, Pastor A.W. Pink says, affliction is God's medicine. Affliction is God's medicine. Nothing has the ability to shake a sleeping soul like trouble. Nothing has the ability to shake our, you guys, what is going on in the world right now is such an opportunity to bring people to Jesus. And I just wanna make this really practical. I, I wanna make this really practical. Go to Jesus with your trouble. Bring Jesus your anxiety, your worry, your sickness. And pray that the Lord uses this trouble that we are facing to awaken a world previously unconcerned about Jesus. David wrote, it was good that I was afflicted. It was good May we be able to say that about this time in history because it brought people to their knees saying, I need God. Another pastor, J.C. Ryle says, health is a great blessing, but sanctified disease is greater. 
may God use this season. Let's be honest. What's more troubling, a sick body or a sick soul? What's more concerning for Christians that, that the world would just get to go back as normal and be unconcerned with Jesus? Or that the world would be awakened that they have souls that need to be rescued by the blood of Jesus? Where do you go with your troubles, with your fears? Do you go to the news? Do you go to food and drink or entertainment? Like, let your stress let your diminishing 401k bring you to the feet of Jesus. Let us join this worried, troubled father and bring our trouble where it belongs, to the feet of Jesus. Now, how Jesus responds to this desperate man is, is honestly, it is not what we would expect. He's like, what are you, this guy's son, the dirt? Look what Jesus says. Let's read verses 48 and 49. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. If you remember, Jesus responds in a similar way to his mom in chapter two. And here Jesus is responding with a rebuke for this man. Now, it's really important uh, we see this. You probably have in your Bible in verse 48, unless you is plural. So what Jesus is doing is he's referring to the entire nation of Israel. And he's he's using this man as, as a sense, as a representative to the entire nation. What he's saying is, So picture this man is at his feet and Jesus says, unless you people, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And that leads us to our second point. Why does Jesus allow trouble? What does Jesus do with trouble? Listen, Jesus uses trouble to confront shallow faith. Jesus uses trouble to confront shallow shallow faith. Again, that context is the Jewish nation and all they want from Jesus is miracles and food. And Jesus is saying, I am God. But all you want is signs and wonders. And we actually see two specific ways that this man's faith is shallow. In verse 49, we see two ways this man's faith is shallow. And the first is this. First, he has a low view of Jesus. Listen, he treats Jesus like a mere faith healer. Look what he says. He says, come down, come down. What he's saying is, if you don't come down, you can't heal my son. Because I know faith healers and they got to do all their stuff and all their rituals and apply their things and say the right words and lay their hands and then maybe he's healed. What he thinks is Jesus has to physically go down and apply his faith healing wonders and maybe he could heal his son. He thinks Jesus' power goes no further than his body. And he does not know that he is speaking to the one who created the universe by the power of his word. This guy had shallow faith. And I just want to ask you, 
How do you view Jesus? How do you view the power of Jesus and the power of his word? And secondly, we see this. This man assumes that Jesus's power doesn't extend beyond death. Look what he says. He says, come, sir, come down before my child dies. Do you know what he's saying? Because if he dies, there's nothing anyone can do. You need to come now. You need to come before my child dies because little does he understand he is speaking to the one who can raise the dead, who will defeat death itself through his death on the cross. This man had a shallow faith. He was like, this is a faith healer and he better come down in person right now. And so listen, this man was right to bring his concerns to Jesus. You, we, me are right to bring our concerns to Jesus. But let me just warn you, when you go to Jesus with your concerns, he may confront your shallow faith. He may call you out. He may say, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He may say, you have a low view of me and my word, and my power, and my ability to raise the dead. And he may even answer your request with a no. I'm not going down because he's gonna show you something better than what you can imagine in your brain. As, and listen, as much as Jesus cares for this, uh, this son's physical health, do you know what Jesus cares about more? The father's soul. He cares about this father's soul. And so he is willing to not just be a mere faith healer. He is going to confront this man in his shallow faith. And look what Jesus does in verse 50. Look with me at verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Now, just pause there and think about this. What did the man have to take with him when he went down to his son? He had nothing to take with him but the word of Jesus. That's it. That's all he had. He didn't, he didn't have Jesus with him. He didn't have any physical, visible proof. He didn't have any, like, I can see Jesus did something. All he had was a single sentence from Jesus. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is he is providing a test of sorts and he will do the same thing to you. Will this man receive the word of God alone and go on his way? Will he trust me? Will he trust me? Let me just say this. True faith in Jesus is content with his word. True faith is content if all I get is the word from Jesus, that's enough. His word is sufficient to heal this man. His word is powerful to heal his son. And you know what? It was that sentence that Jesus spoke that both created healing in that boy and faith in that father. 
it was a single sentence from Jesus. As Jesus spoke, go, your son will live. That boy in that moment was healed. And do you know what else? That father was born again. Look what it says, verse 51. Or verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. What we need in our times of trouble is the word of God. And what, hear this, what matures our faith in times of trouble is the word of God. Reading and hearing God's word literally has the power to mature your faith on the spot. On the spot. Jesus' word is so powerful, he creates the universe and it's so powerful, he heals the boy from afar and it's so powerful, he makes faith in the heart of this worried father. It is the word of God that has this power. And and I just wanna speak for a moment briefly that as we grow in our faith, as we grow in our trust of God's word, it's really important that we use God's word faithfully. Okay, this is like a little pause. I wanna speak for a moment about false teaching. Uh, It's really common for false teachers to take God's word and use it out of its context and apply it unfaithfully. So here's an example. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Now what a false teacher will do is this. Jesus just promised you, if your son's sick, he's gonna live. That's what a false teacher will do. It will take God's word and apply it in a way that is not faithful, not what the author intended it. That was not a promise to all people. If you only claim John 4 verse 50, your kid will never die. That's what a false teacher does to take people's money and to distort the way we understand the word of God. Listen, we know this. Jesus does not heal everyone always. And nor does he promise that if you only have enough faith, your son will be healed. Satan takes the word of God and applies it unfaithfully. That's what he does to Jesus in his temptation. He takes Psalm 91 and says, look, Jesus, it says that if you throw yourself off, that your foot won't hit the bottom. He's using scripture and Jesus rebukes him. He says, do not test the Lord. That is not a faithful way to to use the word of God. And so mature faith is is willing to grow in, in understanding of how to faithfully read and apply God's word according to the the intent of the author in its context. And what we need to take away from uh, John 4, verse 50, is not that Jesus promises everyone's kids will not die, but that his word is powerful. That's what we need to take out of that. That's why faithful Bible teaching is so important. That's why good study Bibles are so important. That's why even if someone uses the Bible and opens up the Bible, they can be honestly doing what Satan does and ripping it out of its context and promising you things that the Bible does not intend to promise you. And so again, what we are to take away from verse 50 is not a general promise. If you go to Jesus with enough faith, because side note, this man hardly had any faith. We didn't even have great faith. If you just go to Jesus, he's going to heal your child. No, we see that faithful, mature, growing faith is receptive to the promises, to the word of God. And and listen, this is important. 
God's word promises us something better than all of our sick kids will be healed. The word of God promises something better than that. And did you know, you did know that the word of God climaxes as God the Father gives his own son to die for the sins of the world. And then that son rises again. And if anyone would believe in Jesus and repent of their sin, they would have something better than physical health. They would live forever. They would have eternal life. They would be adopted as sons and daughters of God and they would rise forever. And so mature faith comes as we faithfully read and interpret and apply God's word. And, and listen, what we need in the midst of our trials, what we need in the midst of these troubling times is not some false promise from God's word, but that the gospel is enough, that we can be saved, that there is a day coming when all things will be made new and we will be raised from the dead and given bodies that will never be sick again. And so we've seen that Jesus uses trouble to bring us to him. And he uses trouble to mature and confront our shallow faith, to deepen our trust in his promises. Now let's read the rest of our text, verses 51 to 54. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when they began, when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Here we see the third truth in our text. It's this, Jesus uses trouble to make us fruitful. Jesus uses trouble to make us fruitful. Briefly, we see four marks of fruit in this man. In verse 50, he believes the word. Listen, he came in not believing. In verse 50, he's believing the word. In, in uh, verse 50, again, not only does he believe the word, he obeys the word. Jesus says, go, and he goes. We know this, but let me remind you, true faith is not only intellectual. It's not only emotional. True faith is shown as you obey Jesus, as you do what he says to do. The third thing we see in verse 51 to 53 is this man witnesses the power of Jesus. I Just notice in verse 52 or verse 51, his servants met him. Do you know what that means? It means they were next to that boy and something so dramatic happened. They were willing to leave a little boy who was dying. It was so clear that they were gonna leave him with good news to go tell the father, like this boy is healed. It's not just like he woke up, like I think I feel better. Like he, he was better. And they were like, this is Let's, we have to go. Let's go right now and tell Jesus. This man is witnessing the power of Jesus. And then the most important piece of fruit we see is in verse 53. This man leads his entire family to saving faith in Jesus. And we need to hear this and we need to remember this. That is the real climax of this story. That's the climax and as wonderful as temporary healing is, 
the salvation of an eternal soul, let alone a whole family, is infinitely more to rejoice in. This man has gone from a miracle-obsessed Jew to a desperate father at Jesus' feet to a believer in Jesus to an evangelist who had the joy and pleasure of telling his little boy, do you know why you're better? Because there's a man named Jesus and he simply speaks and he made you better. You can trust him. Wife, do you know why our son's better? Because there's a man named Jesus. This man grew to be an evangelist. And church, it is my prayer that we would mature to be like this man, that we would mature beyond seeking signs and wonders to trusting and obeying the word of Jesus that is sufficient, that is powerful, and that that we would then go and tell others, there's a man named Jesus who simply speaks a word and he heals, who speaks a word and he created the universe, who speaks a word and he changed my heart. Would we become like this man? And do you know what the tragedy is? That's the only, this little family are the only ones that we see who actually have true faith in Jesus in this story. And, and, and even as Jesus continues on in, uh, in the rest of the gospel of John, it is a very, very, very small amount of people who really, truly trust Jesus. Listen, he gets popular all these crowds come, and in chapter six, he starts telling them truth, and they all walk away. And he's left with a few disciples, and he says, are you gonna go? And you know what Peter says? Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. So would we be like those disciples? Would we be like this family that's a little hub of true faith in the midst of a generation that's just like, so disheveled, just looking for relief, just wanting something. Listen, what will likely happen if this crisis continues is the churches will get really full for a while. People are gonna be concerned about their needs. But what we need to tell them is Jesus is not just a man that brings you some temporary relief. He is God. And he demands your soul that you would say, Jesus, you are my Lord. I will obey you. I will trust you. I trust you and will tell others about you. That is true faith. That is the purpose of troubles in our life. I can just tell you that is why God is allowing suffering in our day, that people would, be, would realize I need Jesus. And then would realize, and I need more than just temporary relief. I need a savior for my soul. And then they would grow to the point where they're gonna say, and I need to tell others about him. There is no one like this man. And so Jesus, right now, we say, thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it's sharp. I thank you that it's, it's not just like candy that makes us feel better and then we're sicker a few minutes later. Jesus, thank you that you love us enough to go after our areas of immaturity where we come to you just as this cosmic genie bottle. Please do this for me. Please do that for me. And you say, I love you too much. You need to know who you're talking with. You're talking with the the sovereign God of the universe. God, I ask that you would mature us in this season of trouble. 
Please, Lord, mature your church. Mature us, deepen our trust in your word. Even as we heard your word, I ask that it would do what it did to this man and it would, it would birth faith. The faith comes by hearing and hearing by every word. It's not by sight. Lord, so many people saw these miracles and then they crucified you. Please give us true saving faith, faith that bears fruit, that testifies to who you really are, Jesus. And Jesus, I thank you that, that you will heal every disease, that the day is coming when you will come back and create a new heaven and a new earth and you will give your sons and daughters new bodies, never again to be sick. There never again will have to be parents burying their children. Thank you that that day is coming. But Lord, even better than that is, is simply to know the living God, to have faith in Jesus, true saving faith. You are worthy and worthy to be praised. Thank you for your care, Lord. We thank you that you left Samaria to go after this one man. Thank you that you left heaven to come after us. Thank you for your word that you spoke. That is powerful. We trust it now. In Jesus' name, amen.